0: Welcome to Source Not Found, a show about the worst versions of your favorite things. Every other week, we explore an IP franchise or fandom by way of its sequels, spin-offs, and side projects—basically anything but the source material. I'm Brandon June, and I like to fancy myself a raven, even though I'm just a tourist dog. That—that's a bit of a hint about what
1: I'm talking about today. If you know, you know. And my name is Bowdall, and I am a beautiful College of Swords bard which is also a hint for what I'll be talking about today. So it's our first annual
0: sourced in 2023. Just a, a leisurely stroll through some of our favorite things
1: that we sourced this past year. Yeah, I mean, looking back at this year, media-wise, art-wise, uh, it's been one hell of a time. It's been a good one. It's been a really good one. Oof, especially if you're a Not gamer. just for like, yeah, video game-wise, this thing's going down in history. Mm, all-timer. I I can't think of another year that I was regularly playing video games that was as good as this year.
0: There's like 98, 99, 2001, I want to say, but I mean, but like this, the thing is like being an adult in my adult life, right? In those days, like, oh, a lot of good things came out this year, but I got two of them, one for my birthday, one for Christmas, you know? Yeah. This year, it's like, well, I'm able to make a lot of bad choices with my spending money, and maybe buy more games than I need to. Um, but I'm able to do that. It's my choice. And yeah, uh, yeah I, I can become
1: more fiscally irresponsible. <laughs> right. I am more fiscally irresponsible because they are because creators are working their asses off to provide me with beautiful, beautiful content.
0: Yeah. If I were 11, it's like, okay, I got Armored Core and Spider-Man 2, and that's it. Now it's like, oh, mom's not telling me no.
1: The ba- yeah. the bank should be telling me no, but you know. <laughs> The the small voice in the back of my head that's like, you want to eat, should be telling me no. But Mm -hmm. he's not gonna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife tells me no. So, I mean,
0: we could have a 13-hour podcast about, you know, the 80 things that we enjoyed this year. But we have limited ourselves to three specific favorite experiences from this year. Either things we sourced for the first time, a pre-existing franchise that we delved into for the first time and really explored or maybe um something that we have enjoyed in the past that got a new release this year which is the case for my first pick.
1: Yeah, and I mean I think I think what I would like to to point out at least about my my 3, these are not the things that I think are the 3 best things that were released this year. These are 3 things that I did not expect to dive as deep as I did mm, into mm-hmm,
0: them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Like there are a lot of beautiful, incredible, complex pieces of art be it uh, like cinematically, pieces of fiction, music, podcasts, video games, whatever. There are things that came out this year that were so mind-blowingly good, but they're not on my list because I wasn't surprised by what it did to me, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And I think that's –
0: I have a bit of that going on. There's one of my, my second pick genuinely surprised me at how it just like got a hold of me and and dragged me in deep. So we hope that, um, you know, we just wanted an opportunity to talk about some favorite things and, uh, some things we enjoyed because we've had to talk about some things we maybe didn't enjoy so much (laughs) on recent episodes. Oh, did we? uh,
1: Did we? Did I miss those episodes?
0: And hopefully there's a couple of things in here that'll, you know, pique your interest and you can look into and source something new for yourself. But to start us off, um, unlike Bo. This choice, I didn't go for a choice that surprised me. I was not surprised at how brilliant this work of art was. Well, I say that. I knew it would be brilliant, but it's still... So my first choice is Final Pitch by the band Arch Echo. Arch Echo is a five-piece progressive metal band. Almost entirely instrumental. Uh, We do get some vocals on this album. That's not a regular occurrence for them. On the title track, which uh, is probably my least favorite track on the album. I gotta say, it's not bad. It's just, uh, it didn't grow on me. But um, I think they're at their best, where they usually live, which is entirely instrumental. But man, um, oh, I don't know where to start with this one. This fucking
1: band. Dude, I had never heard of Arch Echo before. And when you told me about this album, I immediately went and uh, downloaded it, put it on playlists, whatever. Man, I listened to it for
0: like six days straight. I'm still, I've gone through this album like... <laughs> Probably like 30 times, maybe more. I just can't get enough. So I say like yeah, it didn't it's... it didn't surprise me that because like I got into them a few years ago. I think about the time their second album came out is when I discovered them. Um and it's been a while because they put out an EP in 2020, and I think that was the last thing other than like some singles that came out. Man, I just it worth the wait. They just continually surprise me. Um when I let my brother when I shared a track with him for the first time, he just his first comment was it is disgusting how talented everyone in this band is yeah (laughs) 100% agreed yeah um so I mean I love pro I mean prog rock metal those and jazz those are probably the the genres I listen to the most so anytime those like circles of the Venn diagram converge like that overlap in there in the middle there oh man you got me yeah and it's just like it's disgusting how fucking talented they are I mean like, the, the, what I love about, like, this genre, they're, like, prog rock and progressive metal, they're able to incorporate so many, like, disparate genres into one cohesive whole, right? They usually have some, like, core melody or motif that gets, like, reinterpreted or recontextualized across, like, an array of different musical styles, you know? So, like, a track often feels like a journey. It has enough linearity to constantly, like, drive it forward into new territory, but with enough repetition and recurrences, that keep it like from feeling jarring as it moves through all these different right. styles. I mean, there's like yeah. that is like a danger in the genre, right? Like even bands that I love, like um, like Opeth or like Between the Buried and Me, like Between the Buried and Me, Colors, that album, Colors, I think is like one of the, the greatest albums ever made. I love it, but it is very much like okay, we're bringing the heavies, and now it's jazz time, and now we got a country hoedown, and now we're back to the breakdown. And it, it can get a little jarring with the transitions, but I still love it for what it is. I just think, like, Arch Echo is, like, that higher tier of art where, like, instead of where... If you got the collage of different styles, like, it's the difference between, like, being up close and seeing the collage for what it is. A bunch of individual pieces pasted together, right? As opposed to stepping away and realizing, oh, no, that's an optical illusion now where all the individual pieces become one image, right? one composite image that is so well constructed that you, the composite nature is like completely forgotten. We don't see the individual pieces. A magic eye painting. Yeah. It's just this new creation, right? And that's what Arch Echo is to me. It's that highest tier of progressive music, progressive metal, progressive rock, where you have that multitude of genres and it showcases all of those, but it just seamlessly just soars through them all. And it's not these individual component styles that like seem pasted together. It's just this new thing that incorporates them all seamlessly. And it does that with the genre. It does it with the musicians playing. Like, this is some of the most skilled playing you're ever going to hear. Like, they are just fucking shredding at all times. But it's not doing that, like, self-indulgent thing that a lot of bands do, like, whether prog rock or, like, jam bands in particular, right, where it's just like, all right, everything's going to, like, drop away, the drums are going to keep a beat, and we're all going to, like, settle down and let, like, the guitar solo for 10 minutes. And now,
1: yeah, everybody's gonna get their own little
0: time on stage. Exactly. And now we got the drum solo. Now we got the bass. No, it's just like they're all shredding at all times. But the the composition is so well balanced that everyone gets to come through when they need to. And it's just like insane lightning fast playing. It's just so fucking good.
1: (laughs) So here, here is kind of you know listening to it. Yeah, I felt like it was almost like a chemical formula or equation. Like is how I kind of felt like how the music was constructed. Like you take all of these weird, not necessarily disparate elements, but you don't expect them to come together into something so wildly fucking cool. Mm. And it does. And it, it like, once you step back and look at the whole thing, you're like, Oh my God, these guys are so much smarter than me. <laughs> like the fact yeah. that they're able to pull this shit off is absolutely buck wild. Yeah, I haven't really, like,
0: watched music videos since... Uh, I don't know, man. Like, high school? Like, watching maybe MTV After School or something, right? You know? I don't seek out music videos. I... The the video for the big... Like, the, I guess the main single off of this album would be A Luminosity. That video... Man, I've watched it, like, I don't know, like, 10, 15 times. Just because I love watching these guys play. Just to see them doing what I'm listening to. It's just... Unreal. So, all that, like broad level view of like why I love this band but the the one other thing I have to say is what brings me to this genre and metal metal in particular it's not a metal thing it's not a prog rock thing it just across any good music right you have that moment of catharsis right
1: yeah absolutely
0: always at its best when you when the pieces are put in place when you have like a you know um some through lines throughout the piece and there's enough variation and and layered there's enough layers put in place to like maybe like reinterpret it a few times along the way. And then you have it all come together in a climax that satisfies whatever maybe has been unresolved along the way, right? A good compositional sure. leaves some unresolution to be resolved at the end. So to just like to sonically, the same way a story would. Yes. Right. And then in metal it's usually like by way of letting the heavies out, which hell yeah. Pop music does it too, right? If you have a well written bridge and it transitions, you know, into that return of the chorus, usually you have some like, you have some additional instrumentation in there. Gives it some new weight. But, I mean, for me, there's catharsis, and then there's what prog rock does really well, which is, I would just, I want to call it ascension. I just feel like, man, like, when you got the kings, like Pink Floyd or, like, yes, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, something like that. Usually their moment of catharsis is one that, like, really transports me. I feel like I ascend. I just soar. It's usually on some, like, really soaring guitar solo or just, you know, maybe some, like, there's a bit of ethereality to it, maybe some emotional okay. resonance. Those are some bands that do that really well. And I feel like just prog rock is a genre in particular that I think has this sort of ascension moment for me personally. And like Arche is like, we got the catharsis, we got the Ascension. We got like, we can conjure hell and also like bring you to heaven <laughs> at once. You got me like, fucking right, yeah, banging my head to like the gnarliest breakdown and also like lifting me up to the skies. But you like they always satisfy without overindulging, because like they could. I mean, it's just so well earned. Like the when the moment of catharsis is like really well earned. Like the pieces were were put in place, and then they would be justified for like writing that out for like several minutes, like a really lengthy breakdown. But they don't. They show such restraint. Like that final breakdown in A luminosity is so fucking sick. It's so good, and they have all this like built up tension that's like getting released. They earned it. Like throughout the. You know the previous several minutes of that song, and it only goes on for like I don't know eight measures or so. That's it, and then they're out. It's over, and it's like to me that's it's Kobe beef. It's like a transportive sensory experience, and you hunger for more, but it's so nourishing that you recognize you don't need it. You don't need any more than what you were served, and you're able to savor it even more by way of the fact that it's a fleeting experience. That's the archetypal breakdown. I go on all day. I'm, (laughs) but I guess. Just to give you a little taste, what I mean when I say that sort of ascension moment. To me, a good example of that is, I got to go with bet your life. So just let's play a little bit of that, that moment. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I got kind of long-winded. Uh, thanks for, for
1: riding. You're, you're not wrong, man. That
0: absolutely just <laughs> yeah. whips ass. It's so good. That sums it up. Whips ass, the end. Yep. <laughs> so my first pick of a thing that surprised me, thing that just really satisfied me, a thing that I just keep returning to again and again throughout this year, and we'll keep listening to well into 2024 and beyond, Archeco, final pitch. Check it out if you have any interest in this genre of music. Can't go wrong.
1: It, it's not my genre, but it's such a good fucking album, man. Like, I'm, I am, I am sourcing it through the next year probably as well. I'm going to, I'm going to check out this entire, their entire discography. Uh, so, so my number three for 2023 is maybe the weirdest pick that I've ever made for a, a piece of media for a year for me because it goes against a lot of what I like most of the time. Um, I went with the Amazon Prime original series *Reacher*, starring Alan Richson. Just a quick anecdote before I get into why I love it so much. Uh, I was a big fan of dad fiction when I was a kid. Things like uh, Clive Cussler and Jack Dubrol. and I never did the John Grisham thing too much, but like Tom Clancy, um, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Sandford. Like, I, I don't know why I, there's no reason for basically a child to read those books, <laughs> but I was a, I was a big fan of dad fiction for some reason. It, my dad's not even a really big reader. Like my dad's a very smart, a, a very smart dude, a very wise man, but he doesn't, he doesn't read a lot. Um, so I don't know where I got this love of dad fiction from. <laughs> However, I have never, I had never touched Lee Child who is one of like the bigger names in dad fiction. He writes the entire Reacher uh, series. I think it's like 25 books deep at this point. Um, It's it's massive. But prior to this TV show on Amazon, there were two Tom Cruise movies where he was Jack Reacher. And they were action movies. They were Tom Cruise action movies. Mm -hmm. He did the whole like open-handed running thing. And there was some like, fight scenes and he saves the girl you know what what it was tom it was it was that however this show i didn't even really mean to watch but i saw alan richson who not a lot of people know um he played aquaman in the smallville tv show uh he was hawk in the tv show titans he was in blue mountain state he did all of the motion capture for Leonardo in the most recent two Ninja Turtle movies, the dude is a giant nerd, but he is also just he's got the like the John Cena thing going on, like John Cena and Peacemaker mm-hmm. is kind of like as an actor, he's kind of a nerd. But as a human being, he's a monster. Yeah. And he lo- he looks like his life basically revolves around lifting weights and eating, you know, chicken and drinking raw eggs. And that's it. Alan Richardson has the same sort of vibe, but he is just not. He's, he's, I don't, I don't understand why he seems so accessible to me. I mean, that's the uh, the Henry Cavill thing too, right?
0: Just yeah. like, hey, watch me live yeah. stream putting together my gaming PC or something, right? Yeah. Um. Same same sort of thing. I had never, I wasn't familiar with this actor. I'd never seen him in anything. I hadn't seen, I haven't seen anything that you just listed, but it all makes perfect sense. Like, yeah, just um. Him being in a lot of like superhero or superhero adjacent media, because goddamn, just talk about the Greek ideal of the male form.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: just, he is this that. He's carved out of marble. What a handsome fella. It's not even fair, man. And it's not even just the the muscles. I mean, the, the, just the handsome face. The face. He's chiseled. He, chiseled, and then there's, he's got. But he's got kind eyes, you know. And you just feel like you, you'd be safe in his arms. But then it's just like it's his character too, like the. The soft spoken, but then also brilliant character that he plays in this show, yeah, it is really the ultimate power fantasy <laughs> to just watch
1: it so 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 Jack Reacher, as a character, was a special forces uh like investigative military man before he left the military. and now he basically is a he even calls himself a hobo mm-hmm. and he just goes from town to town with what money he can grab from, you know, side jobs and stuff. And is just seeing the world, seeing the country. Seeking out the blues. Yeah, checking out blues. And this entire miniseries on Amazon, you start it and you're like, oh, it's a procedural show. There's cops. He's a former army investigator. This is just going to be the normal. No, it is so much bigger than that. It is this intricate tale that doesn't make the viewer feel stupid. Which I feel like a lot of your, your mysteries or procedurals like to do that. Like, we're going to add in a big twist at the end that a viewer would not see coming and it's going to make them feel like idiots. And the only person who had it figured out was a character introduced in the second episode in the you know first five minutes or something like that. And you're like, no, 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 I don't like that. That makes me feel bad and dumb.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Where this show does not hold anything back not only not only in the mystery of everything like you get to see the mystery unravel with all of the characters as opposed to things being held back from you right um but it's also brutal there are scenes of violence and torture that are almost sickening i was um really taken aback by that so we
0: we gave each other our lists we don't usually share much before we record our episodes right we usually don't know Right, what the other one is going to say about whatever piece of media that we are covering that week, or that episode. But uh, we tried to engage with each other's lists as much as possible. Um, So I did watch the first episode of this. And recently, because I was putting it off, because I expected what you were talking about when you described the Tom Cruise movies. I thought this was going to be some born knockoff. I thought it was going to be just like a real just slog. To even watch an episode, I was like, I don't want to watch this. It's going to be just some, like, you know, C-list, CIA, Jason Bourne wannabe punching shit, and some story I don't care about. It grabbed me immediately. Yeah. Because of Alan Richson and his performance and the character here on screen. I found him immediately compelling. And the world immediately, yeah. com- immediately compelling. And, man, just, like, I'm in. I'm going to keep sourcing it. um. I can't wait to watch the next episode Uh, because I put it off. I
1: haven't had time to to watch the next one. Yeah, no, I I get it. But I'm in now. Um, I will say this, something that Lee Child does, because I have sourced this. I haven't read all of the novels yet, but I did go back and watch the Tom Cruise movies. because I was curious. And Again, they're not Jack Reacher movies. They're just Tom Cruise action movies. But Lee Child, his books, there are not many reoccurring characters. Jack Reacher leaves the places where things happen and he goes to a new town out in every book. Okay. There are, there are a few constants, um, which is so fresh and neat to me. Like there is no large, like large web of secondary characters and support structures. This man is an Island and he is choosing to be so mm. it's, it's just cool. Like it's, it's fresh, it's dark, it's a little violent, but it's also so smart. And they didn't hold back, which I appreciate. Like, they got women directors and writers to come in and write episodes and direct and have some very strong female characters alongside this mountain of a man. And it's just, I I cannot... Uh, I cannot stress enough how friggin surprised I was at how good that show is and how good the books are too. And this is a, this is a weird little fact and I'll, I'll stop after this one. And this is kind of like the miniest of Bo's trivia corners ever. You know, when they have him uh, zip tied in the first episode, Yeah. they zip tie his hands together because they don't have cuffs to fit him. Right. Alan Richson actually just broke the zip ties. No kidding. Like that, that wasn't. That wasn't, like, a scene. They were just like, okay, you can get out of him now, and he just snaps on him. Like, that's <laughs> that's just that's just how big and strong this dude is. Oh, man. It's wild. But, yeah,
0: what you are just saying about, I think this is, to me, like I said, I'm only one episode in. It seems that perfect balance of, there's a reason that Top Gun Maverick did so well, right? I think people are hungry for just good old-fashioned fun, because I think... yeah. We have and I I'm not one of those reactionaries where oh postmodernism or whatever. But there has been we've kind of like the balance of media has like we're sort of deconstructing all of our heroes, you know? And undercutting a lot yeah, of their power. Ma-
1: that makes that makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think that's always an interesting exploration to do and some things like say Logan do it perfectly. Yeah. Um some a lot of I think the MCU has done it at the expense of like maybe like undercutting the power of their characters a little too much where we kind of like lose do I done don't to go on a tangent, but I think to have this like good old fashioned power fantasy of like this. I mean, I mean, let's be real. It's silly when you really break it down. Like, Oh my God, he looks like a fucking Leonardo sculpture and he's like the smartest guy in the room. And he's yeah. like a gentleman
1: and soft, but like, okay, get real. But like, it's fun to watch that. It is. Yeah. No. It's. It's. It's just a fun experience. Like, there are mindless procedural dramas. There are also very cerebral procedural dramas. There are not many cerebral fun dramas. Right. And that's what I think this is. Like, it is a good time. It's smartly written. It's smartly acted. It's smartly filmed. And it's also just fun yeah
0: and usually when we have that situation it comes at the expense of everyone else around them is just supporting our hero and they're just they lapse into tropes and they become stereotypes to a certain degree right and i haven't seen that yet and from what you're telling me no they're able to empower the rest of the cast as well to be interesting characters
1: in their own right yeah they are very much set up a lot of these characters as their own versions of heroes without Jack Reacher needing to be there as their, uh, like guiding force, which I love. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I don't need one hero, because that's not one. That's not realistic to me, and I, that also doesn't fit what a hero is. Right. It's just God. It's it's a good show, gang. I'm sourcing it. Todd, Ta- that's that's my number three recommendation yeah. right there. I can't say that I'm going to source the the actual novels or.
0: The Tom Cruise movies? We'll see. But I'm sourcing the rest of this season for sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This this season is, is... The first season is so good.
0: All right. So my number two. Number two. Now talk about surprises. This one came out of nowhere. I had a completely different thing to talk about until about well into November when on the other side of Castlevania 64, I, for the first time, started playing Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. I didn't know much about this game. I It had been recommended to me a few times over the years. And I thought, oh, this is a perfect time to um, try it for the first time. We got this themed month. I even brought it up with you on, as like a potential contender for talking about on the show, which uh, I'm going to be bringing yeah, that up again yeah, yeah, yeah. next year because, oh, my God. This game got into me. It got me good. It is It got, so, got its hooks in it, you. It got, its, it got its fangs in me, man. It's, as a game... One of my favorite, maybe my favorite retro game experience of the year. It's a 2004 game, I think it is. Um, wow, it's is up there with like, like
1: more what more than Castlevania. That's what I keep
0: saying the same thing. <laughs> yes, I think it might. I think it, it's going to beat out Castlevania 64 and like Armored Core 3 as like my favorite holy shit uh, new retro game experiences this year. It's because it it's such a compelling. Well, to talk about the gameplay, it's got that immersive sim thing going on, right? Which Sure. you got me right like i'm faced with a situation and yeah, you're
1: already in as soon as you say immersive immersive sense. as soon
0: as you tell me that i have a lock picking you know attribute and a computer hacking attribute and i could just spend hours breaking into people's apartments and reading all their emails i'm in
1: <laughs> yeah that, that that's games that match for you yeah, yeah.
0: um but yeah just uh giving you choices, right? Like, oh, I need to obtain this item. I need to get past this person b- barring entry. Am I going to invest in persuasion skills and, like, seduce my way through? Am I going to go around the back and pick a lock? Am I going to brute force my way through with guns blazing? I love having those choices. I love games that give me those choices. So already, just as a game with its mechanics, it feels good to play. The uh, There are a number of different vampire clans to play as. So I'm playing as a gangrel, able to shape shift and, and sort of like conjure up beastly qualities and do a lot of melee stuff, which is not a normal way I play games. I usually go for like a more stealthy or like the hacking approach in a lot of these immersive sim games, but uh they like give you a questionnaire when you start the game and apparently I'm a gangrel because my personality <laughs> quiz uh gave me that. And I just went with it. I like to have an I, experience.
1: I actually I actually did this quiz. Oh yeah, what'd you get? Uh, I wasn't able to get the entire game, uh, but I was able to find this quiz and see exactly which clan I would belong to. I'm a Ventru. Ooh. So I was doing Night Road too, which is interactive
0: fiction in the world. Of- I have it on my phone. Yeah. Yeah. It's re- oh, it's really good. It's very well written. Um, another one that just like yeah. got me immediately, and um, I'm a venture in That. So am I. Yeah. In fact, uh so venture, like in that one you you have to like you're very particular in, in who you feed on as a vampire and so uh I can only feed on older women so I'm just like constantly cougar hunting. <laughs> but uh it's really limiting cuz I have to like
1: it's so good.
0: <laughs> oh man, I've had such a good character in Night Road. It's like I'm like a sort of um an anarchic like leather jacket, boots wearing like lone wolf that just like stomps up to the prince of the region doesn't give a fuck i'll just like track in the mud who cares but i'm always on that i'm always on that cougar hunt um
1: god that's so good but yeah
0: so i mean so i'm bringing up uh vampire the masquerade just as a general world that i've fallen into not even just on the strength of bloodlines alone which is a wonderful game i highly recommend so much fun can't wait to replay it again as another clan because they're just like their clans are like pre to a certain effect and then there's like the Nosferatu clan who are like these just horribly disfigured vampires that have to stick to the sewers and if you come out into public like you will get spotted as what you are as a monstrosity and like so you, it just completely changes the way you have to play the game there's so much so much depth to this because it's based in this tabletop universe that is so well established and why i'm really sourcing this or bringing it up to talk about this year outside of just bloodlines is this larger world which the benefit of streaming a game on Twitch is you get fans roll through. And so I was into the lore immediately. I was, like, inundated with it because Bloodlines just, like, drops you right in and does a good job about, like, giving you things along the way and you you will slowly find your way and, like, understand the world. But hearing things from fans and then them, like, recommending some things to me, man, I just, like, immediately I read through the um, the Book of Nod, which is, like, the creation myths of this universe. Which that in itself right. is so interesting, like the way that all vampires are descended from Cain, as in Cain and Abel from the uh, you know the Christian myth about the brothers, right? I think we we most right probably
1: knows that story. Yeah, I, th- I think most of us are probably
0: aware of that one. Also, like when I say myth, like I just I'm not using that as a pejorative, right? I just I'm not a Christian, um, so like that's kind of just to me, I look at all religions as like Christian myths stories. But well, I mean,
1: I, I think I think calling any like anything from especially like the Old Testament Bible, Christo mythological or something like that. I think that's fair. I mean, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to judge people if they believe it. I'm not going to judge people if they don't. Yeah. But I think I think calling it, you know, I mean, they even say like Gen like the Genesis one is the is a creation myth or creation story. Like it is even referred to as a creation myth. I think myths fair. I mean, I I agree. I just I've had conversations over the years
0: with Christians, and every once in a while, when I like find myself saying that, just like sort of.
1: Yeah, thinking I've said about the it. word Christo. I've I've said the word Christo mythological to my mother before, and she got. Uh, yeah, mad.
0: some people can take a certain way, and like I'm not ever trying to take that away from anybody. I think it's great. Um, it's just I don't. Yeah, you do you. I have a degree in religious studies uh, along with my English degree, right? I double majored, so uh. I'm all about it. I love those stories. And I think they have a lot of power. And I think it's a lot of wisdom that got codified and passed down to us. And I think we're very lucky to have it. But um I'm just not a Christian. But anyway, to say that Fair. I think it's so interesting what they do with these myths, right? In the book of Nod, you have like basically stories from Cain and you have his perspective. And anytime you're able to put a new spin on some like familiar biblical stories, I feel like the last time this happened was uh, as part of my degree, we did a lot of, like, um, feminist readings of the Bible, like, um, essays from, like, feminist scholars. Okay. And one of them yeah, was, sure. like, reinterpreting the Adam and Eve myth to, like, think about Eve not as the uh, the original sin, right? Someone who, like, fell into temptation, but one who is a seeker of knowledge. to so, like, sort of flip that narrative on its head and, like, oh, she's the one that took initiative and went out into the world and, like, sought information. Adam was the passive one. He was just
1: willing to Yeah, he was a lazy bum, (laughs) just hanging out, you know, naming animals. That's about it. Just like, oh, wow, I remember that moment where I I read that essay. And
0: I was like, that is just, to take something that I just took for granted as, like, it is what it is, there's no other way to think about it. And, oh, no, this is a new way to think about Eve. So this is a new way to think about. That's really cool, yeah. Yeah, a new way to think about Cain and Abel, which is that Cain's uh, justification is, well, I was tasked with, sacrificing something to God to show my devotion, and I couldn't think of a greater gift than to sacrifice the thing in this world that I love the most, my own brother, and to murder him in service of the Lord. It's like, oh, Oof. we are, like, dealing with a probably a pretty duplicitous character to <laughs> to pull that one out, but it's such Oof. an interesting way. to It's not something I ever that ever crossed my mind to think about it that way. And then it also talks about, like, it's got, like, um, contrasting or, like, it's got, like, different sort of interpretations of these stories throughout the Book of Nod, that like, oh, it's this, it's actually Cain enabled these two people, and then, oh, no, 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 it's actually like an agrarian society and a hunter-gatherer society at odds with one another, fighting over like a a certain area of land, and one was eventually bound to become the victor, right, and drive the other one out of existence. Right. All these different things, and just such an interesting read, the fact that like it's got all this lore just for the sake of saying all vampires are descended from Cain when he was cast out By God and given the mark, that mark was one of vampirism. And you have these great scenes of like Cain being visited by like Gabriel and they're trying to like bring him back in. Like the Lord is still willing, if you renounce what you've become, you can still come back. And he's denied, every time he denies them, he's hit with another affliction. Like, oh, well, now you will have to feed from blood alone. Oh, well, now the sun will burn you. And it's like tied enough to scripture where like, oh, you can see the jump they've made. And from there, we've got, like, the next generations of Cain, his offspring, and then, like, they become these 13 clans that we know today in the world of the tabletop game and the, the video games and their bloodlines that are passed down through the millennia and how every generation, they get weaker and weaker as you become more distanced from Cain. And now, in the world of, like, bloodlines, we have thin bloods. We are so... We are 14, 15 generations away from Cain. Then now we have vampires that can barely, you know, sire new children or childer, as it were. Um, they don't have much in the way of powers. But then you have, like, ideas of uh, diablerie where you can feed on higher-generation vampires and ascend back up closer to Cain by feeding on the blood of a stronger vampire. And it's just, I mean, I just... You gotta stop me. I'll keep rambling. It's so... Well, I was going to say,
1: so what I, what I, what I do want to point out is this is basically the wet dream of someone who graduated with a degree in English and religious studies. Oh my God. It's hitting like, me. <laughs> like this, this is basically if, if you were able to create your dream woman in a lab, it would be vampires, the, the masquerade bloodline. Like
0: my dream woman is a vampire stuck, just coming out, talking about scripture and playing Arch Echo.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically that
0: that's what I was think like it's so good. Every time I get a little deeper it's like oh there's just this new area to just think about and discover and so much to read on. Oh man.
1: I am looking forward to to possibly visiting this up uh next November. I think I think that that may be something we end up doing. Whether it's Bloodlines or whether it's one of their lesser known titles or maybe we play the ta- tabletop game together or something. Um
0: this is a yeah. I think I think
1: I think that'll be really really neat.
0: Yeah, just the there's so many games for me to left to tackle. And then um the interactive fiction so far has been very good. I've even like been reading the uh the Masquerade of the Red Death trilogy by uh, Robert Weinberg, which is kind of goofy but pretty good. Cool. Yeah, it's just uh what a world to fall into here at the Wire <laughs> late November. Yeah, down 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 to the Wire. Man. And uh yep. I recommend you source it. I've sourced a hell of it. And I'm going to continue to source it.
1: I'm going to check it out. All right. My number two is a podcast, Gasp. Um, it is a podcast, Worlds Beyond Number. So this podcast uh, had the highest Kickstarter return of any podcast ever on a Kickstarter uh, when they were whenever they were starting. Um, it is a podcast done by four people. Ah uh, Brennan Lee Mulligan from Dimension Twenty, College Humor dropout, Abria Iyengar, who is known from Critical Role, uh, College Humor as well, uh, Dimension Twenty as well. She's um, she was on the Adventure Zone as their DM, uh, Erica Aishii, who is a renowned voice actor for both stage and video game and screen. Um, she's also Dimension 20 college humor dropout and Lou Wilson, who is, uh, he was on critical role. He was on uh, not another D and D podcast, very well known live action role play, like tabletop role playing actor. Uh, he also does voice work and he does um, his own acting, all of that stuff. So it's those four people. They are all brilliant storytellers in, in their own rights but they all came together to do a podcast together just to tell stories with one another. Like, they were going to do this whether they got paid for it or not. And so they decided they wanted to make it into a, like, very strongly uh, auditorily designed experience for a listener. And it is. It has become maybe my favorite listening experience that I've ever had. Uh, Brennan Lee Mulligan is the DM for their first campaign. They are doing long-form role-playing. So the entire first season, which I think is 17 episodes, they're all level 1 D&D 5e players, characters. They are all level 1 characters for over 20 hours of gameplay. And you do not notice. You don't care. It the, The storytelling... The mechanics still exist on occasion. They still roll roll dice every now and again for decisions. But the fact is, these people are crafters of tales, the likes of which I have never listened to. And it is baffling that four people can weave something together so well and so consistently. I, I just... Uh, the... Their first campaign is called uh The Wizard the Witch and the Wild One. It is three characters played by Abria Eingar who is a wizard named Suvi, uh Erica Aishii playing the witch um oh my god Ame I was going to lose my mind if I did not remember her name, I swear to you. And then uh Lou Wilson plays an honored friend or a spirit of a a spirit of the world named Ursulon and they all met as kids and you get to see them years later and they all come back together for an adventure as an adult as adults and there's um there's also for patreon patrons there is a uh, children's campaign which brennan also dm'd and they ended up it's fucking wild they were able to do this man they ended up being able to get new um like expertises and proficiencies in skills as children without leveling up by playing the game like okay uh you spend this much time doing this stuff what do you think you study the most and Abria or Erica or Lou would say something He goes, "Okay, go ahead and mark down. When you become an adult, you're going to have a proficiency in that's history very cool. or in nature." And it's just, you know, like that's really neat. Um, and yes, these are all brilliant storytellers. They're all brilliant storytellers and actors, and their characters are incredible, and they all function together well. But what I have not mentioned yet and it i i would be remiss if i did not mention the fact that the editing and audio work on this show makes it something that honestly i do not know how it exists it really uh i didn't really know what to expect
0: jumping into this one you just said hey here's my pick give it a listen and i did yeah and i think you had mentioned something about someone from I don't know. I'm not really like, I have played D&D, like in a couple different groups and handle yeah, we, campaigns. We played. We, we played together when I lived in Nashville. Yeah. And I've done a couple groups since and uh, I really love the game, but I can't claim that I'm really knowledgeable. Right. And I don't know the big, sure. what I want to say, personalities in the community. Yeah. So you mentioned that I think these are some of those personalities. So I thought, oh, it's like D&D adjacent maybe. But then I was listening to it like, "Oh, this isn't a D&D campaign. I'm not like really hearing a lot of setup. We're just like, so we're just telling a story. So this is like some narrative experience." And it wasn't until like the first skill check like, "Oh, no, it is. It's just so mind-bogglingly well-produced and told that it yeah, reads like a a more traditional narrative experience. His narration, his his dungeon, I I mean, DM, but like the narration, he's truly a
1: storyteller. I was immediately Brennan Lee, yeah, Brennan Lee Mulligan is a, the level of storyteller that I, I cannot understand. Like, I don't understand how he, how his brain works the way it does. It's, there's a level of brilliance that I can't, I can't fathom. Same. It's like, I haven't been like on the edge of my seat,
0: or I guess, well, this, this sounds dangerous on the edge of my car driving to work, but you know, yeah um I felt like a little kid back in like second grade at the library, you know, here in the library like enraptured by story which i haven't really been yeah. in a while for like you know i listen to a lot of podcasts but they're more of the conversational conversational variety right but just to be told a story at this level of quality the settings are so evocative like the, the vibrant yeah, yeah the white sanded desert with the pools that oh they're glass and th- some of the lines in this campaign are so good i'm just like It could be a novel. If I read this on the page, I would like highlight it. Like the the line he's got about your mother's greatest friend who you suddenly realize is a very intense woman. She grabs your hand and says, do not let the fraternizing of patriotic students blind you to how much there is in the world that is not us. And I'm like, oh, my God, what a good line. What? Yeah. That has no business being in this D&D campaign, but it's there. (laughs) It didn't have to be this good. Yeah. What is his name? Brennan Lee Mulligan? You didn't you did not have to go this hard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Brennan, don't make me feel things like this, Brennan. Oh my God. Um, yeah. Uh sourcing it. I haven't listened to the most recent episode yet, but I am caught up otherwise, and I can reasonably say that this podcast has made me weep and laugh and some weird mixture of both where you have too much emotion in your body that your body doesn't know what to do with it yet. So it doesn't know if it should be laughing or crying. So you just get choked up and do one of those things like numerous times. Have I felt a depth of emotion listening to stories being told by these four people that I, I would have never, never expected from an audio experience. Mm. I do need to shout out after I've already shouted out Brennan and Abrea and Erica and Lou. I need to shout out Taylor Moore from fortunate horse. He is their audio engineer and editor. Holy shit. The sound, the sound effects, the music, mm-hmm. the editing, it becomes so incredibly atmospheric. It's not a, it's not just a podcast or an audio book. Even It's this weird audio evocation. Like it, it evokes and creates things within the listener, at least in my case, that nothing else ever has. That is, that's my number two. I will source it, continue to source it, always source it. And, um, even though we are also a podcast, we're nowhere near the same sort of podcast. Uh,
0: I was just thinking, we're here at the the end of the year, coming up on New Year's resolution time. Like, oh man, is my resolution like get on their level at least a little bit? Try to a new
1: aspiration. I I can't I can't even imagine how, like we don't we don't tell stories that much. Like we talk about other stories, so I can't imagine how one would do that. But even then, like, I looked into Bo's eyes as he said those words, enraptured,
0: and wondered to myself, perhaps we should. Though, what if we were to try
1: is this duty or choice or have the line uh, have the lines between the two blurred outwardly i
0: maintained my normal facade but inwardly i was snickering because he had just said
1: duty (laughs) oh shit no we're never getting there dude (laughs) duty um but just being able to Brennan doesn't write according to Brennan, he does not like pre-write a lot of his shit. That just That's blows off my mind. the That's off the dome. That's off the dome. Mm. Like
0: this is the fucking pleasure dome of Xanadu. Jesus Christ. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Could I if I could just have 20% of how articulate he is? Uh I yeah, cool. Love that. Uh that's my number 2. What is your number 1?
0: Oh baby. Number 1, 2023 with a bullet with a bullet with a a plasma rifle with a laser sword 2023 was the year of armored core i was going to call it yeah i became a raven this year for the first time i had i had played a little bit of armored core 2 as a kid um and i remember me too that's the only one i've ever touched yeah yep same exact thing it was just a very overwhelming confusing and difficult experience and uh i didn't it, it wasn't my game i feel like my little brother Briefly had it and didn't have it for long because he felt the same way and uh, got traded in or something. Um, yeah, because it's a FromSoft game, right? From Software. Um, for maybe those who don't know, they're not known for um creating the most user-friendly experiences. They make a lot of sort of obtuse, <laughs> difficult, um, oh like opaque experiences. Nothing is handed to you,
1: and strangely rewarding.
0: Oh yeah, I don't. I'm not using these as uh, negatives. It's just. That's what oh, they okay, are. Oh, okay, cool, cool, yeah. cool. They are yeah. difficult experiences. They withhold from you a lot. You are not often told about all the mechanics in the game. You have to discover them for yourself. Same they with the story. They rarely
1: hold your hand. Yeah. They, they treat the player as smarter than a player should necessarily always be treated sometimes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> they believe in you, though. That's the thing. Yeah, they do. They, yeah, they, they know, do. They give you the tools you need to succeed, right? I had a um, shout-out to Velocitos Erratico someone who hangs out on my Twitch stream sometimes who first gave me the term modular difficulty. I'm going to credit him with that one. Huh? I like that phrase. It's a good way to think about it because they're difficult, but how difficult they are depends on you and how much difficulty you want to stack on there. There's always a high skill ceiling. There's always a fundamental, like sort of base level. This boss is a real motherfucker, but yeah, you can always grind. For, you know, if it's a Souls-like game, like, go out there, get some Souls, get some, you know, get some runes. You can always, I mean, there's often, like, summons. And there's often a way to sort of break the game a little bit. Like, if you know how to combine certain things together, certain weapons, um, and exploit them, you can cheese a lot of shit. Yeah. And so that's true for a lot of their games across the board. It is true for Armored Core. And so there's that. But then, like, you, can, so you can break it, and often, you, I mean... I often do once I'm given the choice, but then it's like it always encourages you to come back again. I'm like, so what if this time you went back through and just stripped all that off and went in there with the stock shit and just got good? Like, it, it encourages you to get good. And even with the good stuff, you often do have to get good. <laughs> I mean, um, so it's like so satisfying to go through, like, say Rubicon, the one that came out this year. Man, get those dual needles from the the worm and just wreck shit on the other side of that. But then, like, all right. That's fun for a while, but eventually, like this game is encouraging me to go a little deeper and really master its mechanics, and uh, it believes in my ability to do so. So, what if I just like stripped those needles back off and
1: really went for it? So, can I ask a, a quick question slash favor yeah. before you delve much further into that? Can you please maybe for the listeners that haven't ever encountered Armored Core at all, like what is it?
0: Yeah. So I've kind of just been all over the place talking about FromSoft. Really. A lot of people know that studio, that developer for Dark Souls at this point. And then Bloodborne, yep. Elden Ring, Sekiro. But Armored Core was their moneymaker for a long time. They were the Armored Core studio. They did a lot of other stuff. I mean, they actually they have a surprisingly <laughs> huge catalog of games they've done on multiple consoles. But from PS1, I think 97 was maybe the first game, through um, Verdict Day which it had been quite a while. That had been like the PS3 generation that we had Verdict Day, Xbox 360. That was the fifth gen of Armored Core. So that span in there, that's what kept them going until Miyazaki and Dark Souls kind of took the world by storm. And they've always kind of been this sort of niche game that has like a very um, intense and like, what do I want to say? A very active community but in mainstream circles, like if you look at like the reviews, it's like a lot of sixes and sevens. It's a lot of like, there's a lot here. It's difficult. It's confusing. It's overwhelming with um all of your options for outloading your mech, and there's no story. And that's usually the takeaway. So what it at what the games are at their core is you are just dropped into this very bleak world that is just corporations, multinational, evil, shadowy, quasi-governmental organizations run amok, warring with one another, and you are just basically tasked with doing their bidding. And you often have some choice about who you serve, but the bulk of the games is just, you are supplied with missions, eliminate this, infiltrate this facility, deliver this package, and so you go out in your giant mech. And you do so, and so there
1: yeah. I was I was waiting for you to mention the mechs a little bit more. Everything is everything has been so um in the nebulous in the, in the spirit of FromSoft.
0: I'm having an obtuse explanation of their games.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, um so I'm waiting for just like you build a mech and you do stuff <laughs> real cool. Big robots go boom. The end. Yeah.
0: Um. Yeah, I guess because that's kind of telling what to me is is most um alluring about this world, right? But at the end of the day, yes. You have a big old robot, you go into the garage, what kind of head you want to put on it? What about the core, generator, appendages, weapon choices, FCS, whatever. You get to totally customize every aspect of your mech. And I think it's a good balance because like at first like oh there's a lot to do here, but it's not overwhelming. I think in 4th gen Armor core 4 and and 4A it gets a little crazy. But generally it's like okay, it's it's a lot to like think about, but it's not too much and it's fun really like okay, now if I put on this next generator, it's going to up my weight a little bit. Oh man, so now I got to like have some thicker legs to support that. That's going to slow me down a little bit, but the extra boost I get from this and the ability to equip this other like rifle might outweigh that. It's a lot of that. It's a balancing act constantly like, "Oh, I can't go out because I'm overweight. I got to strip something off my mech." Oh, now I'm like I I put in, like, a a lighter generator, but that doesn't supply enough power. So now I gotta rethink that. There's a lot of just tweaking. But there's, like, a a lot of joy to be had in that. I really had a blast, like, oh, man, this mission is fucking nuts. Like, oh, there's stuff coming in from the sky now. Let me get back in the garage and, like, change my FCS to a long-range one. And what if I, like, switched out these, like, what if I went with something longer range and tried it that way? Just a lot of, like, failure is built in to the experience. You're gonna die a lot. And you just accept that and like okay that's the game it's going in there seeing what's going to happen in that mission and then realizing like okay let's problem solve and think what's going to be good for this so that next time i don't i don't die yeah live live die repeat live die repeat um so there's all that and just like the moment to the moment action is so much fun i mean those games it was like really it surprised me because i just i'd never like i said i just played a little bit of the second one but i said what if i had myself a hot core summer And just started with the very first game on PlayStation and just like rolled through the whole series as much as possible. At least play a little bit of every gen until Rubicon came out at the end of the summer. Came out in August. Right. Right? And so when I say gen, like generally it's like broken up into like first gen is like the PS1 games. we have three games on PS1. Then we've got second gen, which is like the first two games on PS2. Third gen is also PS2. Started with Armor Core 3. And then we get into like, I guess three and a half gen, which is where we finally have um, action on the Dual Shock, like the analog sticks, until then it's all D-pad. Um, I got a couple games there, and then 4th gen is like PS3, um, 4 and 4A, and then you get 5th gen and Verdict Day at the very end of, still on the PS3 gen. So, long span of time, and going through them, just front to back, I think I ended up doing 8 games, did all 1st gen, Armored Core 2, 3, 4, 4A, Verdict Day, um, a couple others in between, like, Dabbled in Nexus, it was so cool seeing how these, how FromSoft like iterated on each generation, like added more complexity, refined the action. But some of those, man, the fact that those PS1 games feel and play and look as good as they do is really astounding. And you've got like, you got multiplayer options for like playing with a friend. You got replays on your moment-to-moment action with your Mac. It's really like, there's a lot there. You've got a whole extra disc on Master of Arena with like all of these extra sort of different skill level arenas that require you to have certain mechs. Man, it's just, it's really a cool series to go through. It's so much fun. And that's not even mentioning just like the way they establish the world. What I was really amazed by is in this bleak, awful setting that I could become so invested in individual characters and, like, events. Because it's all awful. It's basically like, you are a raven, now go commit war crimes for someone evil. Sure. And um, I think it's the fact that it establishes a bleak world, and then just says, and that's what it is. And so now, here's here's the tale we're telling. And it's not a tale that smothers you with the bleakness. It's not like, a lot of, I think, media that has these sort of settings it's trying to tell you something. It's trying to impart some lesson or moral, right? It's like, oh, this is a metaphor for society. (laughs) You know, like we're, we're focusing on the awful aspects of this as like a, a clarion call, like a warning or this is the, the theme of it. But in Armored Core, it's often like, no, nothing like there's no happy ending. There's nothing to be learned or gained. Nothing gets better. You're just in this world. But in the midst of that, you meet characters along the way. And I think, this year's release of Armored Core 6 Rubicon is like the ultimate example of that where such compelling characters. I was really amazed at uh, how invested I got in Ayr and Carla and the choices I had to make along the way about who I was going to align myself with, who I was going to be forced to betray. Um, They hit, and I didn't expect them to. You wouldn't as a game that is mission-based. Often, yeah. those don't hit as hard, right? Um, but it really did. And the one other aspect of that that was really, I think that makes it even more amazing is that you never see these people. And a lot of, like, mecha in this genre, you have characters, and then you have their mechs. And the mechs are often ex- an extension of their character. Like, existing right. outside of the mech. And, like, they they often complement that. Often you have a mech design that, like, sort of encapsulates a certain aspect of their personality. But in this, you never see anyone's face. You just see mechs. Everyone is... Always housed within them, and that's really true of the series. Like, I think, I don't know. I'm trying to think if there are any like cutscenes. Like in the early games, you can do something called Human Plus, where like you fail too many times, like you're shown yourself becoming like a a Human Plus. Like, like you get the humanoid figure. But aside from that, I can't really think of anything. You just see mechs through this game, and I think that's a really interesting aspect to Armored Core, where it adds to that sense of place and the I guess the bleakness of it too, where like you don't even get to see these individual people as human beings. Everyone is their mech and that's what you're dealing with, and it's sort of more impersonal. Right. And the fact that these characters can still shine through that and be compelling. Um, But I guess it's sort of a personal reason. Like, I really started Twitch streaming, I want to say about late April, really. I'd done, like, a couple streams before then just to, like, see what it was all about. But that's where I really started regularly. And then about a month after that, I started Armored Core. And the ride I had this summer, that like my Twitch channel growing is almost entirely due to Corps, because it was such a cool community to just suddenly stumble into. Right at that perfect moment where Rubicon hadn't dropped yet, but people were getting interested in it. It was growing and it was very active, but I was I was able to meet a lot of old heads that had been like doing PvP for like years. Like, that you know, I, I jumped on the Discord. I met like so many cool people that are just passionate about this game that had been waiting for it for so long. And I just, I wanted to shout out the Armored Corps community. They're just such lovely people. They were so, like, man, helpful and, like, fun and interesting. And, like, they would come by and just watch me, like, make a bunch of bad decisions and then just, like, well, hey, I've been watching you eat shit here for, like, 30 minutes. What if you tried a different FCS? What if you tried cannon arms this time? They would just, like, give me a little nudge. Like, try it out and just open up the game for me. Just very cool people.
1: That that's really cool. I, yeah.
0: Yeah, I just had such a fun time going through this series and then like to, for it to culminate with Rubicon, which is my game of the year. Um I have not been able to play as many new games as I would like to. We keep talking about this year being an all-timer and I'm still missing out on like a lot of the big ones still. Yeah. Just only so much time, but it's my game of the year and my moment of the year is the Baltaeus boss fight. Um Baltaeus is a boss you fight. It's not that far into the game, but it is the first real like skill check. Like before, then you've got a little bit of difficulty, but this one is like, oh, right from software, shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. Um, that boss, I did. I I think four hours, maybe four or five hours, of beating my head against the wall. I remember like doing a four-hour stream, and I didn't. I still hadn't beaten him. I'd like gotten pretty far into the second phase, but I just couldn't do it. And then like I slept on it, came back and and got him. But um, it comes at such like a an emotionally resonant moment like you've just like the character you meet you've got air talking to you and like you've got you stumble into this sort of like boss arena and the music oh man just like this driving really impactful like synth music and then the the setting and then you've just got this just neon fucking bullet hell clusterfuck of just insanity unleashed by this boss and it is so visually like arresting and it requires you to be just so in tune with what you're doing, right, just from soft games in general, games of a certain difficulty in general, you're not able to just sort of like passively enjoy this. You are edge of your seat, eyes glued to the screen, getting your fingers, getting your hands to execute at a level that you hope you can aspire to, right? Right. Just what it requires, the attention and focus it requires of you. That boss fight does it. And so just the music visually, just finally getting it, Man, the moment of triumph—it's like no other, right? And to have that moment, and then to like get off my stream, and like jump around Twitch and see everyone fighting the same guy, <laughs> and just like, what are they doing over here? Oh man, they've been going for like three hours over here, and they still don't have them. Let me check this friend over here. Oh, oh, they're on the—they other- got it. Oh my god! And just like to have this sudden like communal experience as gamers—they're fleeting. Yeah, but to see so many people just like. On the same game, struggling with the same boss, and then just like taking them down in a variety of different ways, and like sharing strategies. That was my favorite. That's moment really of the year. cool. Yeah. So, all those reasons, Armored Core
1: is my favorite thing I sourced this year. That's a really good one. So, my thing I've sourced, I sourced this year. My number one, my big pick, my big big boy. I have been sourcing for my entire life. I am doing Baldur's Gate three. I have been living in the world of Faerun, which is where Baldur's Gate 3 takes place, since uh, I was 10 years old, reading my first Forgotten Realms book. Baldur's Gate 1 was released uh, December 21st of 1998, and Baldur's Gate 2 was released September 21, 2000. So for those of you keeping track at home, we have been missing a Baldur's Gate game for 23 years uh Larian Studios took over. They've been working on it for 6 years now, and it is not only my game of the year, I think it may be the best gaming experience I've ever had. Damn. Um it does everything I want in a game. It's visually beautiful, the sound is great, the voice actors if they did an entire like best voice acting they do they do a a voice acting category at the game awards and stuff like that but if it was just all of the actors from Baldur's Gate 3 would not surprise me like it is that level of excellence in voice acting but just a, a a little a quick little backstory and a little bit about what how the game is and what it how it functions and what it is Baldur's Gate was one of the One of the uh, like kind of headline CRPGs back in the day, where you create your own party, you can create your own character, um, you can control them individually if you want, and you go through maps and complete quests. It's basically what it was trying to do was D and D on a computer, Mm -hmm. without having to you know hang out with other people. The first Baldur's Gate takes place in Candlekeep. And if I if I remember correctly, I haven't played Baldur's Gate one in a long time. But um, along the Sword Coast of Faerun, Faerun is basically the world of the Forgotten Realms and what is now Dungeons and Dragons. It's a massive world. It has so much lore attached to it, going back all the way to like the, the early R.A. Salvatore books back in uh, late 80s, early 90s. Baldur's Gate 2 Shadows of Omn was a continuation of Baldur's Gate 1 where you're basically trying to stop a servant of the, the god of murder. Along the way, you you find new companions and based on like your actions in the game, certain companions will stay with your party, other companions may leave. Like If you recruit a, a lawful good paladin character in your party and then you just decide to murder a beggar, or you decide to rob a store, he may just straight up say, you know what? You're not for me. I'm out. And leave your party completely. Or maybe he'll try to fight you. Baldur's Gate 3 takes place years, and by years I mean like over 100 years, after the events of Baldur's Gate 2. Some of the characters are still, like they are heroes of the realm sort of thing. They are Characters that you may have known and loved when, if you were like me, were eleven years old, ten or eleven years old. You know, like these are characters that have been in your dreams since being a child. What Baldur's Gate Three does that the others don't is Larry and Studios decided to add in the dice rolling aspect of D anD. d They decided to add in the randomization process, and you get to see it. They also made it turn based as opposed to the free-for-all CRPG that Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 were. Oh my god, it is so good. Larian Studios has done things with what a CRPG can be that I I believe will completely change what an RPG can be in the future. They also did some smart stuff when it comes to the aspects of D&D that they left out. Like like you said you're not super knowledgeable about D&D. It it has been part of my life for decades. Mm-hmm. Both the world and the game. More the world than the game, honestly. Like I I can talk about Faerûn and Kryn, which is the world in Dragonlance as much as you want me to. But uh, mostly like I've read probably a good 20 or 30 Forgotten Realms novels that all take place within Faerûn. But what they did well, there are certain spells in Dungeons and Dragons that they decided to leave out. Not because they couldn't put them in, but because they would just make it too focused on minutiae, mm. like detect magic. You'll see it fucking everywhere. Or like they wanted to involve dispel magic in the game, but they didn't know how to do it without making it too frustrating for player characters as well as... um creating enemies and npcs around it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this game is massive it's probably 120 hours per playthrough
0: yeah we mentioned before about how we tried to engage with one another's picks and uh i know i i really i fucked up because you know in the last couple weeks after getting each other's lists i just wasn't able to fit in 150 hours of this game i i know i'm I'm sorry. I'll be better next year. It's my resolution to you know be on top hey, of things a little bit better. But uh,
1: we're both trying to get better. I <laughs> wasn't able to play through all eight of the Armored Core. Oh, there's like games uh, that maybe I maybe fourteen or fifteen. I didn't even get through all of them. There's there's no way I could do that. <laughs> but um, I I got this game on release day because I think the world of Faerun is one of the more impactful and uh, affecting fictional worlds. That I've ever encountered in my life. God, it's just everything about it is so good. I could talk about it for hours. So instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk a little bit about my character and the party and how it functions in that way. And then I have two moments in the game that made me realize that this is a life-changing gaming experience for me. Hmm, Nice. So I became a uh, College of Swords bard which means I, I can do a little bit of everything. I have the pe- the companions you meet through the game. You meet druids and clerics and fighters and barbarians and rogues and wizards and warlocks. Um, it's so many people that you can pull into your party if you play your cards right or wrong. And just like in Baldur's Gate, one and uh one and two if you make the wrong decisions these people will leave your camp you will lose access to them and their abilities for the rest of the game and that can be crippling um i did my first playthrough Uh, i already have my second one planned jesus um (laughs) my first playthrough was a good a good guy playthrough because it is hard for me not to make those choices i know i could never my next playthrough is going to be an evil playthrough I flirt with those all the time. I could just never commit. It's so tough. But now, you know, now that I've I'm doing the good guy playthrough for the most part, like I feel like I can go back and make some some pretty wild choices mm-hmm. to to change because supposedly it will change the entire world outcome. Damn. Like like you will lose access to quests and stories and characters because you accidentally got them killed because you didn't act quickly enough. So my party right now is my bard, uh, my my road dog, and the my you can romance characters as well. There's no sexuality; it's a spectrum in this game. Like I can romance the the guys, the girls. Uh, Halson's a druid, and he'll fuck you as a bear if you ask him to. Uh, I I mean this sincerely. I did not uh, go that. That route. was a
0: pretty memed moment. I think.
1: Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, instead. Instead, I've been romancing Shadowheart through the entire playthrough, which is a little basic of me, but I I, I fell for the complicated girl I could fix. Um, <laughs> and then I've got uh, a barbarian with me and I've got a paladin with me right now. And that is we've got two magic users and two frontline fighters. And that's what I'm going with probably into the last battle. But there are two things in this game that have absolutely changed me for video games ever. Both. No, one of them is in Act 2. So you you go to this place called the Shadow Cursed Lands, and uh, it's all dark and spooky, and if you don't have a light, you'll take damage, and, you know, the normal environmental thing that can take place in RPGs. You find an old abandoned village, and I walked in, and I found a school. And I was up in like, it was like a lecture hall in the center. You know, like the old medical, like. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Medical classrooms where it was almost like a, like a amphitheater. Mm -hmm. And in the center would be like where they would do the uh, autopsy or something. That's what it was. And there was this, there's this guy down there with someone on a table and he was surrounded by nurses. And it looked like they were about to start a procedure. So I went down there. And old boy looks at me and he's like, "Would you like to be my next patient?" And the camera pans over, and this dude on their table is still alive, and this guy is basically operating on him while the dude is still alive and showing his nurses how to, uh, inflict the most pain to make him repent. Oh my god! Through pain, like through pain, we get redemption, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, is what he was, what he was kind of preaching, and I was like. This guy looks strong. He has like Edward Scissorhand scalpel fingers and he has like six nurses with him. If this comes down to a fight, I don't know. We haven't long rested yet. Like, I don't know if we can take this guy. There is a very good chance that he will party wipe me. And I am not ready for that game over yet. Mm-hmm. And so I started talking to him and I started using persuasion on him. I'm a bard. I have high charisma. I can, I can talk to people. Yeah. So it went through a persuasion check of 10. I rolled it fine. Persuasion check of 15. Another statement like, Hey, maybe you should let your nurses work on this patient instead of you working on this patient so that they would be focused on, on the patient and not focused on my party. Uh And then there was a persuasion of 22. And that line was you know what? I would I bet they would learn so much more if they were operating on their teacher. Oh shit. To show them how to do things. And so he cut the he cut the guy's throat on the table, put himself on the table and let the nurses kill him for me. Oh my god. And it, and then he was just dead. Like I could I got the quest fulfilling notification and I just I talked him into it. I completely skipped out on three bosses in the Shadow Curse Lands just by having high persuasion.
0: That's wild. You know, I I already resolved to play this game. It's one of those like, oh, here in winter break, like got to fit it in now. Just haven't been able to get to it. But uh, if I hadn't, that would be the moment I would say, well, I got to source this game based on what you just told me.
1: It's so neat, man. The other one is the conclusion of one of the characters' personal storylines. And I'm not going to say who it is or what it is because no spoilers here. But it is a combat sequence that was the most complex strategic combat I've ever had to do in a video game. It took me eight hours to beat this combat scenario. And a good two of them were me actually drawing diagrams with the video game turned off or paused for me to figure out where I should place my characters what spells they should use, what buffs I should have. You walk in and it's a large group of cultists and one like head priest sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And they all are able to use like darkness empowered attacks, which also mean that you have disadvantage on all of your attacks. And so you have to figure out how to not only cancel that stuff out, but also defeat 30 people when there's only four of you. and. There's also different levels. Like there are stairs and stuff. So you can get to higher ground to get advantage on ranged attacks. Or you can hide. Like if you get too close to a stair step, someone can hit you from above because they can't get line of sight on you. So like you have to try to figure out where you can place stuff and go back and make this work. It's God, it's so good.
0: That can be like so satisfying, just like, you know, SRPGs, like just oh, a thirty minute fire emblem battle, just like yeah. oh, meticulously yeah. methodically
1: working my way through this. And if you make a single mistake, like uh one of one of my favorite spells to use, it's it's absolute garbage and a lot of people will come at me for this one probably, but it's spirit guardians and it just gives your cleric like an aura that causes damage to any hostiles that come within ten feet of her. Mm-hmm. Problem is it's concentration, and a lot of cleric spells are also concentration so there are times I pop up spirit guardians it does some damage next turn I'm like, oh man I'm gonna flame strike these people and then flame strike hits and it cancels out my concentration on spirit guardians I'm like ah oh, we're dead yeah okay We're we're so boned we are so boned <laughs> um but just so you know just so you know and, and the listeners know. This game also doesn't hold back when it comes to things like dialogue, romance options. There are actual real sex scenes. Like, some of them are, dang, pornographic. And it's, God, the the amount of items and abilities and synergies that you can kind of come up with. And Larian Studios even, they're with, they're for it. Like, the community outreach and and everything that Larry and his studios have, has done with this game for the players makes me hope they keep this franchise and they keep it alive. Because they have done things that I have not seen another video game studio do, not just for their players, but for their franchise. So you said you're incredible. It's incredible. A, it's a, no, go ahead. Uh, you said you're a, a longtime fan of Baldur's Gate.
0: Have you played um larian studios games before this like divinity
1: i have not this was my first larian studios game Uh, i will be picking up divinity original sin and divinity original sin 2 or divinity original sin and divinity 2 original whatever the divinity games um all right so i really want to check them out bo's got his next year's worth of gaming planned Uh. (laughs) yeah well i've got my second i I've gotta do my evil run through of baldur's gate 3 yeah (laughs) yeah that is my number one pick, and it's also something that I have been sourcing for my entire life and will be continuing to source as as I move forward. Because Forgotten Realms is still a thing. D&D is not letting go of Feyrune anytime soon. Mm. Um, And, you know, the Dungeons & Dragons movie that came out this year, the, the Chris Pine Dungeons & Dragons movie, took place in Feyrune, and they will probably get a sequel. So Faerun's going to be around for a while yet, I think. I got to get in there. I have actually, I dabbled in the, the first game,
0: maybe 10 hours or so. Um, That's my full Baldur's Gate experience. So trying to get into three as soon as possible. And just the more I hear about it, the more excited I get.
1: I will be hard pressed to play a better video game anytime soon. So, man,
0: we saw some good things this year.
1: God, man, it was a good year. Hope you all did
0: too. But I got to say, that was actually not our number one because i think we can both say that the best thing we source this
1: year is all of you oh that's so sweet i thought you were going to say our, our our own podcast but well no all <laughs> all, of, all of our listeners no yeah they're I mean, they're great
0: y'all are wonderful thank you so much what a ride this has been you source
1: us we source you yeah that's how this works that's that's how we show love is i source you <laughs> we source you yeah, what?
0: Uh, about four months now. Yeah, having a blast. Can't wait to keep going. I'm I'm not
1: slowing down anytime soon.
0: No. So every time, thank you for reaching out. Thank you for. I mean, we're coming up on like a thousand downloads. Just crazy yeah. to me. Um, every time I, you know, someone just mentions to one of us, like, by the way, I'm I'm listening to your show, and I, wow, just making our day.
1: Instant erection.
0: Instant yeah. erection. I usually have to rush out of the room and come back about five <laughs> minutes later uh, with a new pair of pants and say, "So,
1: what did you think about it?" <laughs> and then they say they love it, and I have to leave again. Yeah. it's really damn my stamina.
0: But we don't get tired of it. We're not tired of the uh the laundry, the dry cleaning bills, not yet. No, no, keep not them never
1: keep them coming. <laughs> and keep it coming throughout the new into the new year, where. I got I gang I'm worried like I'm really glad we had this conversation about things that we loved um it it makes me excited to see the things that we'll love next year and the things that we'll continue to love especially based on these lists
0: Mm -hmm. but we got some things planned that I gotta say I don't think we're gonna love some of these things we got coming up for (laughs) (laughs) y'all
1: yeah yeah (laughs) so so be prepared to source our misery um January January coming up, we are going to be having some New Year's revelations. Oh, baby. Heaven and hell. Maybe just all hell. (laughs) I don't know. So
0: we got those, and then we got some real fun stuff coming up in February. Uh, We're going to just do the the long tease here. Keep that under wraps for now. But I think you're all going to like it. And if you become a patron, oh, baby, you're really going to like it come February. Because that's when we're starting our patreon only episodes one a month get
1: in there and enjoy one episode a month and they are going to be wet and wild yeah that uh <laughs> we'll leave it at that but we got and so and so will so <laughs> will you be assumedly you're gonna also need to change your pants come february if uh <laughs> if we have anything to say yeah, about yeah, it yeah yeah um uh, jesus what happened to oh, dude we, we were, uh, it started we so... with a thank you and got weird got very weird <laughs> Yeah, well, what's funny is this episode has been so earnest and intent, and now we're like, we're going to make you come, and it's just...
0: <laughs> well, yeah, it's because, unlike, we usually have, like, I don't know, back and forth, a lot of banter, you know, it's more of a conversation. This was mostly just us, like, kind of sitting politely and listening to the other just gush about something for about 10, 15 minutes, and, and just, you know, taking turns, and so it's all just, like, pent up, and it's coming out now, here at yeah, the end. Yeah, all of that, all of that...
1: The, the dick and fart jokes have have erupted. Oh, Jesus. Um, Yeah. So January is going to be super exciting. We start our our patron exclusive episodes come February. And gang, we already have stuff planned all the way through June. Like it's we've got some pretty fun stuff coming. So tell your friends, tell your family, tell your mom, tell your dad. Tell your dad we're doing dad stuff. Why not? I mean, we got reach you with hey, dad fiction. Dads, come on over. Yeah. Hey, you know what? While you're at it, give your dad a phone call. Tell him to listen to Source Not Found podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> Just that. In and out. <laughs> hey, pops, check this out. Love you. Bye. <laughs> yep. Um, as always, thank you so much to our patrons. The shout out tier is always always held down. Bye. Susie Daggs, Jacob Spindell,
0: and what's this? A new patron enters the fray, Frederick Vibvor. Thank you so much for jumping in. We are so appreciative of the support. Thank you all.
1: Friendship. And you guys can contact us with what you sourced this year uh, Facebook, Instagram, Discord, Patreon, Undersourced Not Found Podcast. And then our email, which is where I love to see people send us stuff, is source sourcenotfoundpod at gmail.com. Drop us a line. What did you source? What should we source next year? And, uh, yeah, just reach out. Touch someone. And if you feel like hanging out with half of us, come on by my Twitch
0: channel, LeJuneBug, L-E-J-U-N-E-B-U-G. Link down in the show notes. Play
1: games we uh, talk about here on the show, and then a lot of other
0: stuff, too. Love
1: to see you. Come on by. And guys, through the, through the new year, just a friendly warning. Don't forget to check those toilets for Freddy Krueger and watch out for white vans with those clowns in them. Stay sourcing.